Good morning. Testing one, two. Ah, good morning. Welcome to Calvary Fountain Hills. It's March. I know, right? I've got a few announcements. For those of you that don't know, my name is Pastor Rick. Men's Bible study is Wednesday, March 8th. That's this Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. back in the fellowship room. We're going to a weekly meeting now. So we're going to be meeting every week until April 12th. That'll be the final uh, meeting is April 12th. We're starting uh, the book of Second Peter this Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. in the fellowship room. And we'll just go right through Second uh, Peter and uh, we'll finish that up on April 12th. Good Friday service is on April 7th. At 6.30 p.m., it's a one-hour service that we have here in the sanctuary. And then we have sunrise service on April 9th, which is Resurrection Sunday. We have the service out at the fountain where we meet with the other evangelical, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches. We get together with them, and uh, I'm in a group of, with, of pastors that we uh, choose which pastor is going to be teaching uh, on a particular year, and so we'll have a, uh, a pastor up there teaching from the group on, uh, on that Sunday. So um, then we have our regular service here, our Resurrection Sunday service here in the sanctuary at um, 10 a.m. I think that's all I have. Oh, good, good. Yeah, I know. Well, I have to look to make sure, and, um, and Cheryl said everything's done, so, so I'm good to hear, uh, good to hear that. So we uh, are going to be finishing up Ruth today. Woohoo! Ruth chapter four. Uh, great, uh, great text. Uh, great story to finish up. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, I am going to be leaving tomorrow with. Uh, uh, two of my board members, uh, well, all three of them, we're going to Israel. Um, uh, so tomorrow morning, we uh, take a flight out, and we're going to be in Israel for um, eight days on the ground there. And uh, we're going to be uh, just uh, uh, hitting the ground running. We didn't go with uh, one of the bigger tours. Uh, we have a couple of groups that are going over there with 100 people in, in the, the tour going. And so we um, wanted to go with a smaller group where we were a little more nimble and were able to um, go and see the sites that uh, we want to see all together uh, and move through the, the country. So um, we're doing that. Uh, this week. So um, next week, we have a wonderful speaker coming in, a gentleman named Noah. 
no relation to the ark. Um, but, uh, well, I, I mean, we're all related to the ark in one way. Um, but he, uh, his father, um, Charlie, and I have been friends for many years. He was the pastor of Calvary Chapel and Apache Junction, and he uh, just retired this year. Uh, so um, his son will be coming and uh, teaching next week, and I encourage you to come out and support. I like supporting younger guys that are coming out because um, they need a place to start. They need a, a, a place to come out and teach early so that they can get their grounding and their footing. And so um, so this will be a great time for him to come out and minister. And um, so we're looking forward uh, to him being out here. Cheryl will be here. And uh, so if you have any issues next Sunday, you can go to Cheryl and and bring your issue. Don't bring any issues to Cheryl. <laughs> I was just joking. Don't do that. Just pray about it and then email me. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this time where we can get together in fellowship, where we can meet together to hear you, to hear from your word. And Lord, we can understand how it applies to our lives today. So we're grateful, Lord, because your word is fresh every time we open it. Your word is relevant, and it speaks to the heart. It speaks to our needs. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to us today through your word. Lord, as we celebrate communion today we pray that it would be a sweet time just a refreshing time for us to be together and to celebrate taking communion together one with each other in remembrance of you lord i pray for uh, the town hall meeting on tuesday father i pray that you would minister to those people that are going to be uh, getting together to lead our town, the council members, the mayor, the, the um, Grady, the town manager, and, uh, and those people getting together to make decisions for our town. May they make wise decisions. Lord, I pray that uh, you would give them discernment, clarity, vision, and understanding in the things that they're going to be making decisions on. And Father, we're grateful that we can come together here today to meet in your name. And Lord, there are places in the, in the world right now that that's not possible. But we are grateful that we can do it here freely and comfortably. And Lord, we give this service to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand? We're going to worship together, and uh, then we're going to take communion in a few minutes.
awesome one, the, the glorious one. There's no one that compares. And so we're grateful that we can stand before you today, worship together. We can remember who you are. Sometimes in our lives we tend to get focused on the things going on around us, but Lord, we gather here together to remember you and remember what you have done through your son Jesus Christ as we open this time of communion I pray that our hearts would be softened to the Holy Spirit moving in us in Jesus name amen amen, amen. please be seated <clears throat> um, I'm gonna just spent a couple of minutes, uh, not too long, just sharing about communion. Uh, communion is something we do once a month. We don't do it weekly because we don't want to make it uh, obligatory, something that we just do in tradition. But we set aside time to take communion once a month to remember what Jesus has done for us. That's what we're told to do. Remember his death until he comes, Paul says. And the reason we do that is because he died for us. He gave his life for us. Today in our teaching in Ruth, we're, we're going to hear about a kinsman redeemer, Boaz. And we look at the text and we can see the relationship between Boaz and Ruth. And we can say, oh, that's you know, so romantic, it's so beautiful. But our relationship with Jesus is so much more beautiful. It's so much, we are the bride, he is the groom, and we are going to spend eternity with him. But he first had to come here so that we were able to go there. And that's what communion's about. Communion reminds us of what he has done for us so that we could spend eternity with him. So when we think about it, it's hard. But we need to remember, we need to consider the God of all creation leaving the throne room of heaven to come to earth so that he can save us. Wouldn't have been my plan. That's why I'm not God. So as we look and we consider what communion is about, 
and remembering Jesus as our Savior, this is a perfect time to, in our own hearts, just reflect back, Lord, what is it that you want to share with me? What is it that you want to maybe remove from my life? What is it that in my life that's causing me to not be in full communion with you, in relationship with you? What is it, Lord? Some of us already know. Some of us don't. And that's okay. If you ask, he'll let you know. And then at that point, it's between you and him. Just give it up. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when we go into communion, we consider that so we can get our hearts prepared for receiving communion in a godly way, in a holy way, in a respectful way, not uh, in a hypocritical way. And so that's what we can do here today. As we open up this time, Lord, we pray that each heart here would be focused on you, not on each other, not on anything going on in the room, focused on you, so that we can truly celebrate this communion, remembering the cost. In Jesus' name, amen. So the ushers are going to pass out communion, hang on to it, and then we'll partake together after um, the communion is passed out for everyone. Can I get a word? Can I give a word? No, sir. Not, not right now. Thank you. After?
Father, we thank you that we can gather together in communion with each other and with you. When Jesus was sitting with the disciples, he knew what was going to happen next. The disciples didn't know. The disciples were at the table doing their normal apostleship discussions, who's going to be the greatest in heaven, stuff like that. You know, and we only know little snippets of what actually was said there. We don't know uh, all of the other discussions that were taking place. But what we know is that Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew what was going to happen next. And so when he broke the bread and he passed the wine... He wasn't doing it um, just uh, willy-nilly. He wasn't saying, okay, I'm just going to do this and um, we'll see what comes of it. He was establishing something that we partake in today, communion. The broken bread represents the broken body of Jesus. He allowed himself to be broken for us. You see, he had the power to wipe out anyone that stood against him, anyone that criticized him, anyone that meant him harm. With his breath, he could have killed them all, wiped them out. There wouldn't have been many people left. At Armageddon, when he comes, it's going to be by his word that the enemy is slain. They're going to be filling the valley of Armageddon and he's just going to speak it. We're going to be all with him as we come back, but we're not going to be fighting. We don't have to because it's just going to be his word. That's how powerful his word is. It was enough to create everything in existence today. And so as we partake in this, we have to remember who he is and what he allowed to happen. He suffered so that we wouldn't have to. He took the pain so that we wouldn't have to. And we are grateful for that. We should be, every one of us. So as he passed it around and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He did it not passing around his body, but bread. It represented his body. It was something that they could remember and we can remember that anytime we eat bread or anything that we want to dedicate that to the Lord, we can. We can just spend that time and say, thank you, Lord, for your broken body for me. It doesn't have to be wine. It can be anything that we want to celebrate with and say, thank you for your blood that was poured out for me. Wine represents blood. That's how come he was using wine in that uh, instance 
that's what they drank besides water. And he made communion, the first communion, before they even understood what they were doing. And so we celebrate today understanding fully what we're participating in as we do this. Lord, we thank you for your broken body, the body of your son who died for us so that our bodies wouldn't have to be broken. And even if they are, we know that we have eternal life in you because of what your son has done for us. We are grateful, Lord. We love you and we thank you for his broken body. In Jesus' name, amen. Partake. Up until that time, animals had to be sacrificed and their blood shed. It had to be done in a certain way. And they did this religiously, but it didn't cure the problem of sin. It just covered it up. And so Jesus had to come. A sacrifice had to be given that was good enough to wipe away sin. And that was the blood of Jesus. So Leviticus 17.11 tells us the life of the flesh is in the blood. And that means for Jesus too, the life is in his blood. It was shed for us so that we can have life. He gave it willingly. The greatest part of this is that after he did and after he died, he rose again to prove to us that he was able to solve the problem of sin. Lord, we thank you for your shed blood for us. You loved us so much that you gave that blood. And Lord, through that blood, we can now be cleansed forever. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we thank you for this time of communion, reminding us the cost. But Lord, we celebrate in the fact that we know that because of what you have done, we can spend eternity with you. And Lord, we don't know why you would want to spend eternity with us. But Lord, you made it possible. So thank you, Father, for what you have done. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Why don't we stand, greet each other, and then we'll get started in about two and a half minutes. <laughs> the timer is going.
Okay, let's get started. I'm not really legalistic when it comes to time or anything like that, but if you guys keep talking, I'll just add it on to the end of the service. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we're going to be in Ruth chapter 
uh, for today. And so uh, just, it, Ruth has really been a great study. Have you guys enjoyed it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been a great study. Um, I kind of timed it only because I wanted to start Romans and, and continue through Romans, but I, I wanted to start it um, after I got back from Israel so we can uh, start with the book of Romans, which is what we will do uh, when I return. So uh, we're going to finish up uh, Ruth here today. Lord, we thank you for this book. We thank you for this story. Uh, it, it just applies in so many ways to our own lives. And we can see ourselves in the characters that we're reading about. And so, Lord, we pray that you would shine through this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The book of Ruth is a love story between two unlikely people, a God-fearing Jew and Ruth, a Moabitess. But this is also a love story between the God of all creation, the God of heaven, and us. And so when we look at the characteristics of Boaz and, and who Ruth is, we'll see how we fit into this glorious story also. Today's message is titled, The Kinsman Redeemer. There are Four purposes of a kinsman redeemer. The first one is that they are responsible for buying a fellow Israelite out of slavery. And so the kinsman redeemer would go and pay their debt so that they can come out of slavery. They would do that for, um, they could do it even for a friend, but uh, mainly this was done for kin for family. They're also responsible to avenge a family member that was wrongfully killed and they go and seek justice for that family member. Number three, they're responsible to buy back land that was sold due to debt or other reasons and they can buy it back and, and restore it uh, to the family and the family name. And the fourth reason is they're responsible for carrying on the family name by marrying a childless widow. That was the whole purpose here we're going to see, but there was also the land deal that was going to be made, and we'll see both of those, the third and fourth responsibility of the Redeemer being uh, revealed to us in the text today. And so now we start with chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate. Let me... Let me backstep a little bit here. Um, Boaz was going to the gate because um, Ruth was at his feet when they were in the threshing floor while he was sleeping. He woke up. Ruth is there. And he says, who's that? And she says, Ruth. Oh, what are you doing? And Ruth says, hey, will you marry me? <laughs> 
Now, that isn't exactly what she said, but it is what she implied by saying, would you take me under your wing? You are kin. You are kinsman redeemer for the family. Would you take me under your wing? And Boaz said, I'd love to, but there's another guy closer than I am to Naomi and her family. And so we have to first see if he wants to be the kinsman redeemer. But if he doesn't, then I will do that. And so now Ruth has peace that she knows that she's going to be redeemed either by this other person or by Boaz, and she's hoping for Boaz. Boaz proved himself to be someone that cares for her, treats her well, cares about Naomi. And so he is really showed himself um, just a, a wonderful example of a person that cares for people. We can see it in all of his workers when he comes out to the field and, you know, the Lord bless you. And they all call back, you know, the Lord bless you. And they, they were all at peace with him because of the character that he had. And Ruth saw that. Who, who wouldn't want to have a husband like that, right? And so that's why she was there. And now he said, I'm going to go do this. So she goes home to Naomi. And Naomi said, let's wait to see what comes of this because he's going to take care of it right away. He's going to do this immediately. And so they're now waiting to see what the result is. And so it says, now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. The gate is, there, there were multiple gates that come into the town. And the gate is where all the business was conducted. Trials were conducted there and business dealings. And so he went to the gate because he knows that's where the business is going to be conducted here today. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. We'll notice that the close relative is never identified by name in this story. It's always the close relative, you know, and we don't know why that is, probably to, for him to save face. And so Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. And so he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. Now, this sounds kind of unusual, but this is how business was conducted back then. So this wasn't an unusual thing for him to be picking people out and having them sit down. I'm sure these elders that he picked out, he knew them personally. These weren't just random people off the street. He picked elders that he had a relationship with so that if ever he had to go back to remember the covenant I made, he'll know who those men were that sat there in the, the and made the covenant, well, heard the covenant that he was making. And he took 10 men, the elders, and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. And then he said to the close relative, Naomi, 
who had come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. Now, it wasn't their literal brother Elimelech, but they were family. They were all related. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Deal's done, right? He's going to redeem it, and the whole deal is done. Now we know that, you know, Ruth is going to be protected. She's going to be safe. You see, so far, Boaz, Boaz is sneaky. <laughs> He's sneaky. He's smart. And he um, was just talking about land. You know, so this was a land deal. Uh, and, you know, you, you can tell what was going on in the other guy's head because he's thinking, oh, that land belongs to Naomi. Naomi is too old to have children at this point. So he's not going to have to perform that part of being a kinsman redeemer because um, she's old and she's not going to have children. So the land will now transfer to him. That's Well, here's how it works. When God brought the children of Israel into the promised land, he gave them these parcels of land and set them aside by each tribe, and they all divided it up. And so they all took the land, and then it was further divided by family. And each family got a portion of the land. The thing is, they could not sell that land. It was theirs forever. So what happens is if they do sell the land as the deal was made here, in 50 years or every 50 years, it's the year of Jubilee. All debt is forgiven. All land is returned back to the landowner. All slaves are set free. And so that's why this was a, an important thing. This is going back to the family. And so she would get it back anyway, but we don't know when the year of Jubilee is from the time that uh, they're making this deal. It may be 30 years. You know, Naomi is probably not going to live that long. So this guy is thinking to himself, you know, the year of Jubilee is in five, six, ten years, whatever the case may be. When it comes, the whole land becomes mine because she's not going to be able to take it. She's, not, she's old, and she doesn't have anybody to take it for her. And so it will become his land, and his family will carry that on. But that only covers the third responsibility of a kinsman redeemer. And so when he said that 
I'll redeem it. All he was thinking of was the land. He didn't think of the other part. And then Boaz said, on that day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi. You must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Oh, he just dropped the bomb. Right? He just, oh, by the way, here's the rest of the story. Here's the rest of the deal. The rest of the deal is you're going to have to marry a Moabitess. What? A Moabitess? Jews didn't marry Moabitesses. That just didn't take place. Uh, and, I mean, they did, obviously, because, uh, you know, Malon married her. And, and now Boaz, uh, who is... Boaz is a practicing Jew. He practiced it. Not legalistically. He lived out his faith. He lived out his love for God in how he lived among the people. And here he's setting up to take Ruth as his bride. He's willing to do it and he's ready to do it. And so he said, no, you're... You're going to have to marry Ruth to perpetuate the name. This was a requirement. So what happens is the the kinsman redeemer marries the bride, and she has a child, and the child does not belong to the kinsman redeemer. The child belongs to the husband that died. And so they carry his name on, and then... They inherit his land, and they perpetuate the name continually uh, from the time of uh, that marriage, but that child from the kinsman redeemer. He has no right. After that, if they have children, then those children are theirs together. But it's the first child, the first son that's born, and that's whose name will be carried on at that point. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself. I cannot redeem it. And so he looked at his own inheritance, what he had. He probably, most commentators believe he had grown children. He already had given them their properties and stuff like that. So he was thinking this for himself, for the future. But he didn't want this to cause trouble, especially marrying a Moabitess. Can you imagine him going home to his wife? Oh, by the way, here's Ruth, my other wife. And um, and she's now you know, going to be taking over that property and I'm going to have to produce a child with her so he can inherit the land. I, I don't think that would go over real well. So especially her being a Moabitess, that's just not done. So now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. And so that's how they solidified the business deal. I'm taking off my sandal. I'm giving it to you. Deal is done. Oh, but that's not really how it was done. You see, 
in, in Deuteronomy, it, it's told how it's actually done. You see, the woman who was rejected by the kinsman redeemer gets to go up to the kinsman redeemer and spit in his face. <laughs> then she takes the sandal off and she gets to keep it and then he is then mocked forever because he didn't redeem what he should have done. Uh, it wasn't sinful. It, it didn't disqualify him from worshiping in the temple or anything like that, but it was just embarrassing that he would not do what God had set in place to do, but he had the right to refuse it. But this guy gets off easy. He's like, here, take my sandal. So we don't know his name, but he's the guy walking around with one sandal. And so, and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And so he makes the deal, closes the deal right here. You're all witnesses. Here's the sandal, you know, and I am now taking and the responsibility. And he's not like, oh, I'm going to have to marry a Moabite. He's not like, he's excited about it. He's looking forward to it. And he didn't say, and all that land is mine. He said, I am taking this in their name to perpetuate their name and so that they don't lose position at the gate. This was important, that their name was going to be continued. And, uh, you know, we uh, have different customs and traditions, uh, especially being Italian. We, in my family, we have all kinds of customs and traditions about how you carry on the name and, and so on and so forth. And, and uh, I don't know what they are. So... Uh, you know, I kind of dropped off the 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 um, family tree somewhere, and uh, they continue to do their thing. But every family has its tradition of, of what to do. This was not part of family tradition. This was Jewish tradition. This is what God gave them and and ordered for them. And it's just a beautiful picture. Uh, here, Boaz stepping up and taking responsibility. It's a beautiful picture. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. They all agree. Hey, we're witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah. Well, Rachel and Leah were both dead. That isn't what he's saying. He's saying prosper the family, because Rachel and Leah were the two women that gave us the 12 patriarchs, the, the 12 sons of, um, the, uh, of um, Jacob, thank you, 
And so the Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Ephrathah is, a, is the surrounding region, like a, a county, and Bethlehem is the city in there. And when you look at prophecy, an Old Testament prophecy that talks about where the Messiah is going to come from, that is the Bethlehem that is mentioned. There were five Bethlehems in Israel. And so... It was specifically pointed out, the Bethlehem and Ephrathah. And so that's important because that's where Jesus was born. And that's where all of this is taking place in his hometown here. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Perez was also very important in this history, in the genealogy. Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. See, Judah's son died, and so Judah gave Tamar the other son. He became the kinsman redeemer, married Tamar, and then he died. And then Judah said, wait until the next child is born and was was just a, a baby, and wait until he grows up and then I will give you him, and then you can continue the family. And he didn't do it. Judah did not um, give Tamar to marry the son because he was afraid if you marry, he's going to die too. Everyone that marries you dies. And so she acted as a harlot, and he, Judah, went into her, and that's where Perez was born from. And that's the family tree that led to this family. So it's not exactly the glorious family tree that you would think of. It's filled with people that have um, trouble in their past, but they're saying, hey, be like Perez, you know, may you be fruitful like that family. And so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, and this is being said to Naomi, who is better than to you than seven sons has bore him. And then Naomi took the child and laid her on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Not nursing as in uh, providing nutrition, but a nurse just taking care of the son. Uh, also, the neighbor woman gave him a name saying, 
There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David, King David. And so that's an awesome history. That's an awesome genealogy. Who else came from that line? Jesus. Jesus is the son of David. He came from that same line because of Boaz and Ruth being married and joining together. It's a love story. Two unlikely people that we could never imagine God putting this plan together. But it was God's plan. He already knew what he was going to... How come... How come whenever there's a hero, Boaz is the hero of the story. The book's name is Ruth. (laughs) Why isn't it Boaz? You know, I, I just, I had to throw that in there. So anyway, this reflects another love story. The love story of the sinful human race and our kinsman redeemer, Jesus. Ruth is a type of the human race. She was the example. Boaz is a type of Jesus. And he showed us how much he loved Ruth and Jesus showed us how much he loves us. In chapter 2, Boaz goes out to the field to check the field and Jesus came to earth to check his prized possession. Not the earth, us. Boaz looked out and saw Ruth. Jesus came and saw humanity. Boaz was good. He was kind to Ruth. And Jesus came and he was good and kind to us. We're told in Romans chapter 2 verse 4, it's his goodness or his kindness that leads us to repentance. Ruth found favor in the eyes of Boaz. We have found favor in the eyes of Jesus. Boaz was the kinsman redeemer for Ruth, and Jesus became our kinsman redeemer. Boaz was motivated by his love for Ruth, and Jesus was motivated by his love for us. Boaz paid the price to redeem Ruth and all the land and everything that belonged to their family. And Jesus did the same. He redeemed us, and he's going to redeem the whole earth. He's going to restore it, and he's going to hold that title deed, probably smack it in the devil's face. Here you go. Remember when you were walking around with me out in the wilderness telling me what I should do? Well, here you go. And he's going to take control of it all. Remember the closing verse in Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. 
Are we seeing that today? We see the world doing what is right in their own eyes. And it said there was no king in Israel. We have a king. It's just that he doesn't know he is. And we don't see our country prospering because of the things that are going on in our world today. It's not because he's a bad person. We're all bad. We're all sinners in need of a savior. And if we try to do things ourselves, now we see how it ends up. We can see in, in the news, we can see what's going on, and we can say, wow, we can't fix these things with all of our wisdom, technology, skill. We can't improve things the way, you know, from the way they are today. No, that's a God thing. You see, there was a famine going on in that land. It was a physical famine, but there was also a spiritual famine going on in the land at the same time. And even amidst all that, Boaz restored Ruth and Naomi and their family and brought them out of slavery, basically, to be set free. And so Jesus is doing the same thing. I believe he's going to come and restore us from the way the things are going today. He's going to restore everything because that's what he does. That's, what he, that's why he died on the cross. And so we have that to look forward to. He's our kinsman redeemer, and he's going to protect us. All we have to do is wait, just like Naomi and Ruth. They had to wait to see what the outcome was going to be. I have good news. We know what the outcome is going to be. Just like Ruth, when she was laying at the feet of Boaz, she was told by Boaz, if he doesn't redeem it, I'm going to. We're going to take care of this, and you're going to be protected. We already know our kinsman redeemer is coming. We're protected, and we know the end of the story. And so let's just wait, but not just sitting around waiting. Let's wait and tell others so that they can join with us. Amen? Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you for um, witnessing the love of Boaz and Ruth in this text. And we can compare it to the love that you have for us. But even so, your love is so much greater than even what Boaz demonstrated. We didn't see any flaws in what he was doing and how he loved but, Lord, we know that you are perfect and you love us perfectly. So thank you, Father, for your son. Thank you for what you have done through him to send him to redeem us. And we look forward to that day where we'll be fully redeemed from this earth and that we'll be spending eternity on everything and, and all of the places that you've redeemed, we will have at our access it's just going to be a glorious thing the most important thing for us lord is that we get to be there with you thank you lord for what you're going to do thank you for what you're doing in our lives right now 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Another awesome book. You know, as we read these things and as we um, get excited about the day, we can be excited about the days that we live in. Some people say, oh, no, things aren't good and, and we shouldn't be excited about these things because uh, of how much trouble there is and, and everything. We're not excited to see bad things happen. We're excited about the good thing that's coming. And that's where our joy is complete in, in that. Stand, please, with me. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen and amen. If anyone needs prayer, I'd love to pray with you after service. Let's worship one more time together. Yeah.